Welcome to HB Media Minute, a podcast from Haynes and Boone that focuses on legal trends impacting the media and entertainment industry, intellectual property, and First Amendment law. I'm Nathan Koppel, Director of Media Relations for Haynes Boone. Today's topic is intellectual property infringement, particularly what happens when a business's copyrights, trademarks, or trade secrets have been infringed. Do, big, do businesses victimized by infringement have the right to seize counterfeit fit products as a remedy? We'll explore these questions and more with today's guest, Haynes and Boone partner Ryan Patrick, who focuses on white collar criminal defense and government investigations. Ryan previously served as the presidentially appointed U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of Texas from 2018 to 2021, overseeing the busiest criminal dockets in the country. During his time as U.S. Attorney, prosecutors in Ryan's office charged nearly 25,000 defendants in almost 22,000 cases, consistently ranking as the top district nationally in overall criminal prosecutions and criminal appeals. Ryan also previously served as a district court judge in Houston. I'm excited to talk to Ryan, but before we get started, our disclaimer, this podcast is for informational purposes only, is not intended to be legal advice and does not establish an attorney-client relationship. The topics we discuss are subject to change. Legal advice of any nature should be sought from your legal counsel. So with that aside, Ryan, welcome to the podcast. Um, and Thank gonna, you for having me. Yeah, great. I'm going to start uh, by anticipating a question that's, that some listeners might have, and that is we're talking today about civil IP law, and, and you've forged a very successful career in criminal law. Um, how does your practice involve and cross into the IP topics we're talking about today? Well, uh, to, to answer the obvious question, I'm not an IP lawyer. I'm not an engineer. Uh, that's not my background. But when it comes to enforcing uh, copyrights and trademarks and trade secrets, which is a, a new area of the law that's enforced this way, um, there are civil remedies that look very much like criminal investigations and criminal search warrants. And it's actually through those mechanisms and actually uh, my practice here at Haynes and Boone doing this work started with a criminal referral where police thought they had seized Uh, some illegal products uh, from uh, what's now a client uh, and finding out that all those products were illegal and they were counterfeit and then working with the client to to root out those issues. That's interesting. Um, Well, let's get into the topic at at hand then. If a a business were to find out that its uh, intellectual property had been infringed, what what should they do? So uh, there are there's a couple different ways uh, companies go about doing this. and there are some there are some companies that know they are being counterfeited. It is it is the the type of industry they're in, apparel, uh, small handheld consumer electronics, auto parts. Those are major areas for counterfeiting um, throughout the United States and and really around the world. And so many companies in different industries they know they may or may not have a counterfeiting problem depending on, depending on what they do. But if they find out they're actually being counterfeited. And it's being done at, at volumes they want to um, to deal with. Then they need to hire investigators, and they need to go after those counterfeiters and get them to stop. Um, they may it may be very obvious that something is counterfeit. It may take some some investigation, um, comparing products, doing undercover buys, um, sending cease and desist letters, and ultimately litigating this in state or federal court. So there's a lot of different options, and these investigations can take a long time, just like a criminal investigation can. So, so, Ryan, at that level, 
just when they're deciding we need to hire an investigator, um, would they typically retain counsel at that point or would they wait to, to find out what happens in the investigation before deciding to retain counsel? So I've seen both. Uh, I have uh, I have clients that have brought me in very early in the process uh, to work with the investigators and to work through the process from the beginning. I've been brought in once litigation's already started, and then I've been brought in once the private investigators, and there are private investigators, usually retired uh, officers, retired federal agents that are private investigators in intellectual property. Um, and I've been brought in after they've done most of their work, and then I've been brought in to help uh, with either litigation or make referrals to local district attorneys or to the U.S. Attorney's Office for criminal prosecution. So th- there's, uh, I've been involved in all sort of three phases. Let's let's assume that an investigation that they determine that there has been an infringement. What would be the the next course of action? Would that become a state matter, a federal matter? Who has jurisdiction over over, over litigation? So um, we're talking about trademarks and copyrights. Now we'll discuss this in a moment, but the way they're enforced civilly, or actually the exact same way, uh, because the um, this all goes back to the Lanham Act. Uh, the Lanham Act is, and, it, and all this is sort of globally falls under what people refer to as the Lanham Act, which is it's civilly enforcing and criminally enforcing your trademark and copyright uh, uh, rights that, that you may have as, a, as an owner or a creator. Um, but uh, you've, you've got to find out where they are. Um, you've got to find out who is, who is counterfeiting you. Um, and you need to start with that investigation there. And it, and it can go in many different directions. Now, broadly speaking, um, trademarks can be enforced at the state level or at the federal level. And it, like I said, it goes back to the Lanham Act. Uh, there was a Congressman Lanham uh, 70, 80 years ago. He's about a 30 year Congressman outside of Fort Worth, the Fort Worth Federal Building, the Lanham Building, that's him. Um, and, but copyrights are specifically in the realm of the federal government. So copyrights can only be enforced federally. Trademarks can be enforced on the federal level or the state level. Now, Texas has a state, and I'm in Texas, I'm, I'm in Houston. Uh, Texas has state laws that, that mirror the federal Lanham Act's uh, provisions. So uh, while, the, while the penalties may be a little different, the actual on-the-ground enforcement are very similar and they're the same. Uh, but the, the big thing that the Lanham Act does and the, and the, copyright, um, the copyright title also follows this the same rules under the trademarks are under Title 15, copyrights are in Title 17. Title 17 says look to Title 15 and do the same method, which is uh, you can get an ex parte seizure order, which means you can apply to a federal court or in Texas, you can do it with a state court as well, but you can go to a court and go to a judge and get a sealed ex parte order. The counterfeiters don't know you're coming and you can use um, law enforcement that a judge will order in federal courts, usually the U.S. Marshals, if it's state court, probably your local sheriff, local police department, to go in and open the door for you so that you and your private investigators can go in and seize all of the counterfeit items. Can You can also seize their books, their records, any machines that are being used to manufacture the counterfeit goods. It is a very, very big hammer and a, and, uh, a, a very interesting way to begin sort of um, surprise guerrilla discovery. Well, that's interesting. It's, yeah, when you think about the typical course of discovery in civil litigation, this is a different beast entirely here. I'm just curious, would there, in some of these bigger cases, would there be a, a parallel criminal matter as, as you're pursuing civil remedies? So there can be. The reality is, though, most U.S. attorney's offices 
um, they're going to have to uh, decide how their resources are best to be spent and getting them interested in making a federal case out of um, what may be very big to the to the client. Um, it may be difficult to get the FBI interested in a few hundred thousand dollar copyright scheme. It may be very difficult to get uh, Homeland Security interested um, in some trademark infringement. And generally speaking, Homeland Security investigators, HSI, they're going to handle trademark infringement and the FBI is going to handle copyright infringement. That's why when you play a movie, you put a DVD in and you see those badges come up at the very beginning. Those are copyrighted. Sometimes they're trademarks. And both of those agencies are going to have jurisdiction depending on if you're trying to enforce a copyright or trying to enforce a trademark. And generally speaking, the differences are copyrights are works of art. So things that are created, uh, designs, sometimes logos, logos could go either way. Um, but something that is created that's more of considered like a work of art, um, something, a written word, a painting, a movie, those are going to be copyrights. And you follow those with the federal government to get your copyright protection. Trademarks, on the other hand, are going to be, uh, they can generally fall under trade dress. They're going to be logos. So you think of things like, you know, Nike, the word Nike is a trademark and so is the swoosh. Um, and there's lots of companies you can think of that way that they have trademarks on all their various marks and all their different names and the way that name is stylized. And, uh, that's how you enforce your, your trademarks is when you see those counterfeit goods out there in the wild and you and you you narrow it down to that wholesaler or that creator source and you want to go after them and litigate. And you, you sort of touched on this, I think early on, and it sounds like there's some threshold issue that businesses consider is, is has this, because you, you hear so much about um, trademark infringement with things like Nike and other popular brands. And I guess there's a lot of businesses that there's just so much of it out there. Do, do many businesses go through an analysis? Does this rise to the level of something that we want to pursue legally, I suppose? So there are some investigators that I work with that this is this is their business. This is what they do as private investigators, and they're on retainer to every handbag, every shoe manufacturer, every sunglass manufacturer you can think of. And those and some of those companies do not litigate every single item that's found out there in the wild. Rather, they use their contacts in law enforcement. They use their contacts with Homeland Security. Um they may get an order to seize the items, but maybe they don't go forward with fully litigating it. Um, on the civil side, the penalties are there's a statutory $150,000 penalty, or you can have treble damages uh, in addition to attorney's fees. So if you're talking about uh, large volumes of product, uh, depending on how the company is situated, it may be more important for them simply to get those items off the shelf and not care so much about what happens at the end of the civil litigation, or this could be really impacting their bottom line. But there are many companies out there, designer handbags, designer shoes, you, you name it, anything that can be counterfeited that has value, it's actually driving up the cost of the real items because the companies are having to spend so much money policing the fake products out there. And a lot of the fake products are very difficult to distinguish, but oftentimes it's 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 obvious. Um, with some of my clients, I, I can easily spot the fakes from the real thing. Uh, because I'm, I'm just so, uh, I'm so involved now with, with what they do and, and how they, um, the, either the quality issues or the way the, the design is handled or the sloppy ways the counterfeiters move. So, um, you know, dealing with all those issues, it, it can be really tricky. And then some of the it, needless to say, right. I'm sure it's a, it's a worldwide level of vigilance. It's not, you're not just looking at the U S you're looking at this across the globe, I suppose. 
It is, it is worldwide. And unfortunately, many of the counterfeit goods, consumer goods that come in are coming from, from China. Um, and that gets into one of the areas of what are called gray market goods. And oftentimes, and what I've seen with some of my clients is the counterfeit goods we're finding in the wild have some portion of, um, they have some percentage of sort of being the real product because they may be overruns. So the production overrun, the client has purchased X number of items and then the factory their own purpose or for whatever reason, they overrun the product and then they sell those behind the client's back. Um, they could be great. So gray market goods are goods that um, there's something real about them. Maybe they were discarded because there is a manufacturing defect. Maybe they there was a quality control issue. Maybe they, quote, fell off the back of the truck. It doesn't matter. There's something that is real to them, but they're not going through the proper legal um, sales chains. They're not going through the proper processes. So there may be something correct about them in some form or fashion, maybe had they been made right or they didn't have this or that wrong with them. But an average consumer either is willing to pay the discounted price um, that they would find on the street uh, because of that defect or they don't know the difference. And so those are gray market goods. Black market goods are goods on their face. They are illegal. You, you can't buy them. You can't sell them. And then counterfeit goods can fall into either one of those. So I've had clients where their intellectual property, their logos, their marks are put on clearly illegal items, things that cannot be sold. There's a lot of uh, various uh, drugs and drug paraphernalia out there in the wild that have legitimate marks on them that those companies have, would never and, and do not allow to be put on those products. Uh, and then there's counterfeit goods that are in the same consumer space, but they're not the real thing. Do the laws, regulations differ for gray versus black market goods? Or it's, 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 you can't be sort of illegal. It's either illegal or, or not, I suppose. So it, it's illegal or it's not under, um, under the Lanham Act and, and under the way you would enforce your marks if the people selling them are not, they're not the authorized retailer. They are not the authorized seller of the item. Now for copyrighted, materials, that's a little different because you're talking about publishing, uh, recreating works of art. Um, and, and so obviously if, if it didn't come through the, the proper channels, it, it's, it's an illegal item. It's, it's a violation of the copyright, um, with trademarks very similar. So it's this, and, and it's a cat and mouse game too. There are, um, you're, you're sort of playing whack-a-mole and what's unique about Houston and, and with the practice I've sort of developed around this is we haven't, there's a street in, in Houston called Harwin. Um, anybody from Houston knows Harwin, the Harwin district is where you go to buy your counterfeit, whatever, um, whatever the consumer item is, if, if you want to go find it, um, and you're probably going to buy a knockoff, you go to the Harwin district and there's lots and and lots of big cities have those districts. Everybody kind of knows where they are in their hometown. Houston happens to be a hub for this nationally. And, uh, there are lots of warehouses and lots of wholesalers on Harwin drive. The Houston police department has a task force that, that, works on counterfeit uh, items in the Harwin district. Homeland Security works regularly in the Harwin district and they're working with Houston Police Department. They're working with these different task forces. Uh, Homeland Security, they have procedures through Customs and Border Protection to flag known counterfeiters um, with suspicious points of origin, certain items coming from certain provinces or certain areas, certain countries that are known or suspected to be uh, fraudulent. Homeland Security has a, a big interest in this when it comes to health and safety concerns. So sometimes the dollar amount may not be big, but there's a huge health and safety component to it that uh, HSI may be interested in enforcing on the criminal side, uh, same on the state side. And so there's a lot of overlap. There's a lot of different competing 
uh, concerns and motivations or whether or not you want to pursue this civilly, you want to pursue this criminally. And then to add this extra wrinkle in is most states like Texas, you have the ability to trademark it in the state. So under Texas law, under our fraud statute, you can enforce a federal trademark or you can also enforce a state trademark. So I have a client that their federal trademark application has been sitting there for two plus years. Their state trademark has already been granted. So we are able to get, um, and that's filed through the Secretary of State's office. It's a much quicker process if you you know navigate your way through that. So I can go to local police departments. Um, I've done this with in suburban Houston, where I've gone to them and said, look, these stores are selling counterfeit goods. Are you guys interested in trying to police this and get this out of the stores and off the streets? And they say, yes. And they are enforcing a state trademark. So again, there's all these sort of overlapping jurisdictions. There's these overlapping um, you know, motivations in there. It's, it's a really unique area of civil law and investigations uh, that, that I've been working on now for, uh, for over a year and a half. I'm curious in, in talking, was it, was it the Harwin district, Ryan, you mentioned? Yeah, yeah okay. Harwin. Uh, why, I mean, could law enforcement, why they, why they let it persist? I mean, couldn't they just shut the whole thing down? And maybe it may, may take us too far off topic, but it's just curious to me that, and that's, as you mentioned, it's true of every city that there's one area, you know, where you can get counterfeit goods. Uh, part of it is it's trying to count the grains of sand on the beach. It, it, it is what it comes down to. There is so much of it. Um, and again, there are limited resources for every police department, for every company um, that's trying to chase down counterfeiters. You've got to decide where you're going to put your effort, your time, and your resources. And um, it, it, it becomes a very difficult uh, job. And and I have seen, I've gone on these raids with the U.S. Marshals and gone into these stores where there may be shelves and shelves of counterfeit goods but in these wholesalers, but then there's also some legitimate goods too. Um, and I've seen some really good fakes and I've seen some really bad, obvious fakes. Uh, I've seen clients' um, trademarks and copyrights on items they don't sell in, um, in, in product categories that they are not even involved with. That's easy. That's sort of low-hanging fruit. Uh, when it comes to these types of investigations, but it takes a lot of work. Um, sending in undercover, uh, sending in undercover uh, investigators to do undercover buys. Uh, some of these warehouses are 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 sophisticated to the point they you got to know somebody to get in the door. Or they won't let you purchase if you've never purchased there before. Um, they don't sell. Not all of them sell directly to customers. They only go through. They are only middlemen. They don't allow walk-in business off the street. So some of these warehouses can be a little tricky to get into. So maybe you have to bust a store uh, and get them to cooperate in exchange for not being litigated against, not being, um, you know, not being blacklisted by the company for even getting legitimate goods. Um, it, it so like it, pretty pretty cloak and dagger affairs. Is there? I mean, is there any level of convincing and persuasion that you have to? to to make for a big business to, to launch this sort of investigation or are most of them aware of what this involves and comfortable with it? So, so m- most of the companies I've worked with, they are very aware of what's going on with their products uh, and they are making the business decision whether or not it is worth it for them to simply get these items off the shelf uh, and maybe trace it back to, if they believe it's more of a gray market good, trace it back maybe to the, to the, to the manufacturer, uh, the point of origin, um, that are coming off the, the same or similar lines where, where the original products are coming from. They may have a uh, sort of a larger focus than just taking out one warehouse. Um, but I've had other other clients where this is very specific to um, 
you know, one warehouse flooding a market with um, tens of thousands of illegal products makes a big deal to their bottom line. And not only that, if you are a small startup company or you are a new product in a product segment and the counterfeits are very inferior quality, that can ruin all of the goodwill and the hard work they've put into creating their product very quickly. So a one or two-year-old company that is growing exponentially, but all of a sudden is flooded in the market with tens of thousands of counterfeit items in their product segment can absolutely destroy their business. So that's a completely different calculation than, say, Nike or Reebok. You've hit on, on this in a little bit in some of your answers, but can you take me through a counterfeit investigation, maybe start to finish? What are the different stages of it? And how long would a, would a typical investigation take? So um, if, if a company identifies they have a counterfeiting problem and they want to go investigate it, and let's say it's something on the consumer level, it's something that can be purchased in stores, um, then or, or, if it's, or if it's a wholesale item that they can... Um, that they have maybe a, a friendly store that buys from wholesalers working with them. You need to get undercover buys. You need to see the actual product that's being counterfeited um, and try to trace it back either to its point of origin or find out who the main players are. Because if you're going to litigate this, you want to make sure you're not wasting time, effort, and money on, on people who are judgment proof. Um, and there's a lot of that in this industry. There's a lot of shell LLCs and there's a lot of, you know, moving pieces. So uh, we would send in private investigators. Um, uh, I had one client where, we hired uh, uh, a lot of private investigators to go hit retail stores throughout the Houston region. And after they hit about 20 stores, I think it was about 85, 90% of everything they bought was counterfeit. And we stopped it right there. We knew it was bad, but we didn't know it was that bad. Um, and so then it was kind of, okay, let's reassess. Let's, let's make this a little wider. We can't hit every store in Houston. Where else can we go? And that's how we ended up in Harwin. Uh, that's how we ended up at these warehouses. And then it's, what are the biggest warehouses? Where are we getting intelligence from? Uh, the companies will know in their industry where the counterfeits are coming from. They'll know where consumer complaints are coming from, and they start to work backwards and working with the investigators. And like I said, there is a cadre of private investigators that do this work. They know where to go. They know who the players are. They have those contacts with HSI, with the FBI, with big city police departments. And then finally working up to that point, do you have enough evidence to go to a judge with an application that's basically, it looks like a criminal search warrant, to ask a judge we want you to grant us this civil authority to go in with the U.S. Marshals for them to open the door for us by force or voluntarily open that door to allow us to go in and seize all of the counterfeit products, seize the books and records, seize the computers, seize any uh, machines that may be making those. And then we'll go from there. And then you start the litigation process with a show cause hearing uh, a week later, and then on you go to litigation. You can certainly see why your background is so relevant to this. It's just so close. It feels like to a criminal building a criminal case. Um, I think it feels like we're getting close to running out of time here. I want to just end by asking you what what are the the, the remedies, um, civil and criminal, uh, for once you've established infringement? So uh, the civil remedies, generally speaking, are one hundred and fifty thousand uh, dollar financial uh, civil penalty or treble damages. Uh, again, whether or not um, there's a lot of expense and time that can go into doing all the forensic accounting and trying to figure out, um, you know, tracing all that money. Uh, so those are two options there, plus attorney's fees. So this can get very expensive for the counterfeiter very quickly because these investigations, as you can tell, they don't happen quickly. And there's a lot of um, there's a lot of people involved typically in them. And, and there's a lot of time uh, that goes into those. 
Um, so on the federal side, that's what the penalties are. On the criminal side, federally, um, for trademarking, uh, it can be for an individual anywhere up to 10 years in prison, up to a $2 million fine. Those numbers were increased uh, a decade ago uh, or so. Um, and up to, a, uh, I believe it's a $5 million fine now for a corporation. Uh, and then those penalties escalate. I think they about double if you are a repeat offender. Um, and then under uh, the Texas fraud statute for criminal penalties, it, there's what we call a value ladder. So depending on the value of the counterfeit items, you're looking at anywhere from a low-level misdemeanor up to a first-degree felony um, on, on the criminal side. And there's escalations in there for, um, uh, for repeat offenders as well. And so um, this can be a, a very proactive approach to go after known counterfeiters. It can also be a prophylactic approach. Uh, Haynes and Boone has done work for the NFL when the Super Bowl has come to Texas, whether Dallas or in Houston, getting these types of warrants on the front end. Uh, the NFL has a very sophisticated um, internal investigative structure. They know where the fake T-shirts and the fake uh, Super Bowl items are coming from. And and on the front end, those applications and all that legwork has already been done to go to a court and getting these ex parte orders to seize that stuff off the street corners near the stadium um, the week of the Super Bowl um, to already, you know, to work in that fashion and actually trying to hit it before it gets to the consumer, before it gets too far. So there's there's different approaches there. But but generally speaking, that's um, those are the penalties. Uh, it's a fascinating window into really what's an industry, uh, fraudulent industry. Um, anything else, any other points you want to make before we sign off? Uh, you know, other than if, if a company believes they've got a counterfeiting problem, it is probably bigger than they think. Um, and it's, it's just going to depend on, on what does a company, the, the biggest hurdle I have found, uh, when dealing uh, with companies and having those initial discussions is, um, getting them to understand that this is going to be a long process. This is going to be an expensive process. Um, and unfortunately, um, it could lead to some default judgments as well. Um, but that also also that also goes back to making sure you pick your targets well, going after targets that are counterfeiting that may also have property that you can place liens against, uh, individuals that are counterfeiting that may own real property that liens can be placed against. So maybe um, uh, the legitimate company can be made whole one day. So there's um, this is a it does it looks just like a criminal investigation. It has a lot of moving parts, uh, and it's become a very interesting part of my practice that I did not uh, anticipate two years ago. And by default judgment, you may mean that you may go to this work to file an action and the other side just disappears. They just close they the shop. They, and... they never even answer. Yeah. Ryan, this is fantastic. Thank you so much for, for your, your experience in this area. I um, uh, just want to invite listeners to visit the firm's website at HanesBoone.com, where you'll find our media and entertainment litigation practice page, which contains links to our media, entertainment, and First Amendment newsletter and to all of our other HP Media Minute podcasts, um, which are also available wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much, and I look, f- look forward to coming back to you with our next HP Media Minute soon. Thanks.